Hey, welcome to RushCast. My name's Jay Mantis. Thank you very much for listening. We're happy to have you here. Getting down to the last couple days of the live album series, and it's getting harder and harder to find time to watch these DVDs because they get longer and longer as they go. But that's not to say I don't enjoy it. It's a nice, hefty two or three hours uh, of enjoyment. Hey, if you like our show, you should rate us on iTunes or comment or something. Say something about RushCast on iTunes because that's always a good thing for any podcast is if you uh, say good things about, probably good or bad, if you're responding to the podcast on iTunes itself, it, does a, it goes a long way for the show. At the same time, you can email me whenever you want, rushcast2112 at gmail.com. If you're not on our mailing list, you should be. If you're listening to the show, you should be on the mailing list. Because I'm going to be going to you guys in a couple weeks once the live album series is over. And the content will be generated through me and also you guys. So uh, you're going to want to be a part of that. This week, we're talking about a really cool... A really engaging, really interesting, really unique, I'm running out of adjectives really fast, a a fantastic live album, uh, Power Windows Live. And to help me talk about that album, please help me welcome Matthew Seeloff. How are you, Matt? I'm doing excellent. How about yourself? Good. I think the last time we talked was the trivia series last summer, right? Yeah, um, it was it was over the summer. It was in August, I think. Are you going to brag about being champion? I mean, I was going to let you say that. You, you, know, I'm, <laughs> you I was thought champion, I just? But... You're like he knows my resume. He knows, he knows my credentials. I'm, I mean, the diehard fans will know me. <laughs> uh, you're kind of young, right? What are you like? Twenty? I, I'm nineteen. Yeah, 19, I'm I'm I'm, cool. I'm pretty young. That's been one of the best parts about Rushcast is finding out that I'm not the youngest fan of all time. Yeah, I think I'm down there though. Uh, <laughs> you didn't get much Definitely. once once you found out who Rush was. They were they were trailing, they were tailing off the uh, back end of their career. Yeah, I know it sucked. <laughs> so, I imagine Clockwork is up there for you in terms of your favorite material. It is my number three. Your number three are your first and second. Uh, Moving pictures and hemispheres. Wow. I'm always fascinated by how clockwork gets lumped, like in a top three, gets lumped together with super old material. I I love it. I love it so much. Actually, actually I have my list right in front of me. I, I said that in the order wrong, too. It switches back and forth, but currently it's moving pictures, hemispheres, clockwork, 2112, Farewell to Kings, and then Power Windows is number six, which is why I love Clockwork Angels Live, because there's just so much Power Windows. I know, it's crazy. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think there's eight tracks on Power Windows, nine tracks. There's eight tracks on Power Windows, and they play five of them on this tour. And then just one tour ago, we had Marathon, right? Yeah. So then they left it out entirely for R40. They're like, screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we don't need to. We don't need to defend the fact we didn't represent Power Windows. However, there were three other albums they needed to defend their reasoning on. But we will save that Absolutely. for next week. <laughs> A yeah, very angry segment next week. Uh, no, I won't be angry. I'm kidding. So, I'm angry. Listen, man. The first thing I think of 
when I watch, or the, the first thought that comes to mind when I watch Clockwork Live, especially since I've been able to watch every other live album back to back once a week here this fall, is the fact that this one's in high definition makes a really big di- it, it separates it from it's awesome from everything from Rio up until Time Machine. I think Time Machine mm-hmm. probably was available in high def, but I don't own it in high def. Um, but the Blu-ray for Clockwork Angels really does help out the experience a bunch. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, specifically, I mean, I don't know how much of an impact it has on the sound, but it definitely looks way better. Yeah. Uh, specifically, this drum set, which I, I've oh. said, you know, I would, I'd seen that drum set from afar at live shows, and then my one show where I was like seventh row, that was one of the big th- things that stood out to me was that Clockwork drum set just looked like a very different beast up close. Yeah, and the TV it among, didn't do it justice. It's among my favorite of Neil's drum kits. It's actually the same one that he used on the Time Machine tour too. It's the first time he ever did that. Right. He duplicated. And just the small but tweak so of bass drum. Bass drum head was a little different, right? Yeah, the head, and he changed it to, for the tour, but that's pretty much the only part of it that's different. I mean, all the decals on the cymbals are there. Mm-hmm. So I like good, the, the high def kit. really um, accented how incredibly unique that drum kit was. <clears throat> Excuse me. And at the same time, we get Getty's bass, which now we can see in, in full detail and high definition mm-hmm. and we can it's people, blue you know geeks like me can analyze his number one bass and go which had a new neck last tour a new neck new pick guard the uh amalgamation symbol on the front uh and that neck really looks uh, a bit again more detailed in high definition you can see the blocks you can see uh, i know getty had specific had been very picky about the color of the inlays on that neck, and it's just now I'm getting into guitar nerd world, but um, we're gonna talk a lot about how yeah, the no, Blu-ray. You're, you're talking to a drummer too, like <laughs> I could sit here going on about that drum set, but I'm not gonna. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll offset each other because I never have enough to say about uh, the drum side of things. Now, another nice. thing I noticed in general was that the guitar tone. I think was better, and that could be attributed to the mixing. I could be complimenting the mixing here and not even know it. Maybe this album was just mixed better, but the guitar sound is incredible. And I've always said I liked the Hughes and Kettner sound on uh, the last few tours with those big amps. And I believe this is the tour where he started going, well, we know he started going direct into the board because he didn't have any amps. Uh, and I always kind of thought of that as a step backwards. However, this week I watched and went, no, that, that sounds pretty good. That's a great guitar yeah, tone. It, it, it's definitely, a, it does a service to the live albums, and I think there's a couple of tracks on here where this is the best recording of, of that song that there is. Oh, you think? Okay, interesting, because I, I think the last, especially Time, Time Machine and, and a couple on Snakes, uh, I thought Time Machine was riddled with songs that were just the best we'd ever heard. Them. Oh, it's definitely true on Time Machine too. Like Marathon, holy yes. crap! Right, and obviously we don't have many examples of a lot of those songs. It's like you know, yeah. that's like me coming on Rushcast and saying, "You guys, you know what? I think the Snakes and Arrows version of Entre New was the best that was ever recorded." <laughs> oh man, <laughs> you know, you're hurting me. You don't play Entre New nearly enough. I think that was the only tour it was played. <laughs> It, uh, yeah, if it was ever played before that, it was on the Permanent Waves tour probably, but I don't really know the set list. Another big 
and actually, Matt, I'm confident that they didn't. I I think that was the only one left. Well, that and different different strings had never been yeah. performed live. But um, another big kind of defining characteristic of this live album are these alternating sets. Now, in the past, we had seen yeah. You can go on PowerWindows.net and see all every set list, and they've they're incredible. Another. Uh, uh, the the administrators of that website I would like to talk to on the show at some point. It's a crazy it. resource too. Oh, I know. I I can't. That was my study material for the trivia. Always series, right. It's the we should uh, <laughs> they should they should be an unofficial sponsor of Rushcast because uh, they're an unofficial sponsor of my victory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, you can go on that website and see like oh and the uh, the Presto tour they they played Chain Lightning for half the tour and then swapped it with X Y or Z and I'm just throwing random songs out now, but we never they saw not something like Chain this. Lightning ever. Oh that's true yeah they never played Chain they Lightning. They never played Chain Lightning. Um, so they played Superconductor which just boggles the mind. <laughs> <laughs> well it but never came of, back so that says something. Speaking of that album though. Um, my favorite track on that album, The Pass. So good on Clockwork Angel. A Live. song that was rotated out, right? Every other set. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's, played, uh, it's that and what I consider a kind of like a quasi-sister song in Bravado in terms of vibe. Um, yeah. Played but, on this rec- on this one again, but also just the band, you got to admit, the band just loves those two because they're played so often. They play, they play Bravado just a crazy amount. And I think that song is is pretty boring. Well, uh, it's boring to the live audience, meaning like I'm That's, sure you yeah. love it just as much as the rest of us here do. But oh well, yeah. You can't I love, help the, I love watch... the calypso on the drums there. Right, and and you know you watch it live, or you're at the show, and you're like, man, people are getting up to get beers. <laughs> you know, nobody's, everyone's falling asleep. Uh, not to yeah. say I don't like to hear it, but I, I want to stick on yeah, well, pr- I want to stick on Presto for two seconds because it reminded me we had a bunch of listeners comment on this whole we what were we calling it the the Presto shooting from Time Machine we're getting oh, man, yeah, the where finger he, like, gun to the head right hand up in the air we have answers now uh, Getty shoots himself in the head at the end because he missed a trigger a synth trigger and played it too early so during the guitar solo there's like this synth track playing that should not be heard now they edited all that out so if you're thinking to yourself i don't remember hearing that it's because you didn't um they got rid of it now you flip time machines uh case around and i've always i had forgotten this but i had always wondered why why is there an asterisk a word that i cannot say (laughs) Why is there a tiny star next to the word Presto on the back? Because nowhere on that back cover does it tell you what that symbol means. Uh, Now, somebody pointed out, in the booklet, way down at the bottom in very fine print, you can see the answer. It says, and I'm shocked they put this in the book, or even acknowledged it. It says Getty had a flub during the solo on Presto. And they chose to overdub it with a different recording. Uh, now, I, <laughs> I did some Googling and found the raw footage from somebody at that show where you can hear the flub. So so you have to follow me on Twitter if you want to see it. I'll, I'll try to remember. Jay Mantis, Rush it. Detective. Rush Detective. That's what I'm saying. So uh, we have our answer. 
Thank you to everyone who pointed that out. And uh, other people pointing out as well, that was the first time Presto had ever been played. It was not played on the Presto Tour, so a lot of fact-checking in the last seven days going it's on. Good, good it. song, too. Um, if, you want, if you want more like trivia like that, I have, I have a whole list written down on this sticky note here. Go ahead. Give us a couple. Well, so I know you, you harp on about how they play Dreamline pretty much like all the time. Sure. Interestingly enough, this tour and Snakes and Arrows are the only two tours where they played a song from Roll the Bones that wasn't Roll the Bones. <laughs> That's amazing. Okay, so, well, wait a minute. What about Dreamline on our... Th- oh, wait, wait, wait. Say, say it again. Is it just those two records? So Snakes and Arrows Live and Clockwork Angels Live are the only two live albums where they played a song from Roll the Bones without playing Roll the Bones. Oh, wow. Interesting. You know, I don't have a problem with that. I don't need to hear Roll the Bones anymore. <laughs> no, I actually I actually like uh I want to hear Ghost of a Chance more often, oh, absolutely. honestly. I wouldn't mind hearing The Big Wheel. Uh we're getting it, off topic. Give me another give me another fun fact. Heresy. Heresy. Okay. Um So this uh Clockwork this tour basically uh, meant that Clockwork Angels is the Rush album that has the most concert representation without having every song played. So there's five Rush albums where they've played every single song live. Hemispheres, Moving Pictures, Signals, uh, and Grace Under Pressure. I said five, but it's actually four. (laughs) So those four albums, they've played every song. They've played every song on Signals. Uh, That wasn't true until R40. They've played chemistry. They've played chemistry. Wow. They must have played okay. it on the Signals tour. Okay. Uh, hemispheres, moving pictures, uh, signals, and what? Grace under pressure. Okay. And the fun fact but was? They have played 11 out of 12 songs from Clockwork Angels, and almost all of them were on the Clockwork Angels tour. Oh, I see. The yes. only one they didn't was BU2B. And we're really not going to consider that a, a song, right? Well, BU2B was, they played it on Time Machine, but they didn't play it on Clockwork Angels. And BU2B2 is like a minute and a half of a violin and Getty singing sad things. Right. Uh, so, really, they've played 100% of this album. You know, but I, the interesting thing is, besides but, Time Machine, this is the one where they lump together the most songs from any given album. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't surprised either that they did that. I was surprised to hear Wish Them Well and, and see them give that love. Uh, I would rather hear Brought Up to Believe. I thought Brought Up to Believe was built for a live setting better than almost all of these songs, with the exception of maybe Headlong Flight. But uh, I, I I, have a lot of love in my heart for Clockwork Angels as a whole because it was kind of the album that made me a Rush fan. Mm-hmm. And I think um, Wish Them Well I really like just because I think it's a, I think it's a pretty good song for a concert because it's kind of repetitive and it opens itself up a lot to like solo opportunities or that weird thing they do on Dance this tour where they get where alex dances there yeah that was really <laughs> funny where they have the violins like plucking yeah what a and he's like i look moment. like i got something in my shoe <laughs> do you notice how this movie i'll call it a movie or this this blu-ray is different than the other live albums in that it's sort of a movie format like, it starts out, you can watch it straight through. It doesn't feel like different sets. Yeah. It feels like a movie. You get you, you get the sound check at the beginning. Uh, you get the first set. You get these, like, interludes in between sets 
with the string players walking around backstage. Then the the little the the clips that they made with the watchmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, or not the watch. He's looking for the watchmaker, right? Jay Baruchel. Uh, and then at the end, we get the similar things. It just kind of flows very nicely. The camera work in this one is so much better. It's so good. It's incredible. I remember seeing a teaser for this one. It was the garden. And I couldn't believe the way the cameras were moving on the stage was just so different than anything I had seen. There's Well, the garden actually had some like really beautiful effects, too, like on the screens. Yep. That was some of the best use of that. Did you notice the GoPro on Getty's keyboard? For every show on this tour, he had a GoPro on the keyboard. And I thought, is it for his own use? Is it footage that is going to be locked away for a million years? Or I don't know. I, I didn't catch that. I had always wondered what, what that thing was. I mean, it could just be for him to watch after the show. I don't know. Um, and lastly, if we're going to talk about... Lastly, in terms of me going on and on about the bass gear... Getty has all these different jazz basses on this tour uh, that are all kind of modded with different pick guard colors. And they're all just Getty Lee jazz basses for the most part with different color pick guards on them with different alchemy symbols on them, which I thought was a really cool aesthetic. He's still playing jazz basses, but each song in the clockwork segment kind of had a different looking bass, a different alchemy symbol on it. Uh, I remember... My live show in Saratoga, New York, I saw a black-on-black combination, which I had only seen once at the time I was following every show to see what bases he was using, what pick guards he was bringing out. So he was swapping pick guards mid-tour. Some shows saw bases that he combos that would never be seen again, um, and I much prefer that to what happened on R40. As cool as that was, I loved the jazz bass aesthetic, so... Uh, I've always wanted to say that, and now I said it. <laughs> What's, um, I mean, you've heard the last couple episodes, Matt. Yeah. And you've heard me talk about how the first set on the last couple examples have been incredibly indulgent for hardcore fans, um, littered with vault tunes, vault tracks. There's a few this, of those. This one is no exception, man, and this one takes it to yeah. a different level. I guess if you don't like Power Windows, you're pretty bummed, but... I love Power Windows. <laughs> and it's a travesty that Middletown Dreams and Manhattan Project were songs that only got played every other night. That's I think that's a travesty. Yeah. However, Manhattan we still Project get a nice really... amount. Well, for one thing, I love Grand Designs. Like, that's one of my favorite songs from that yeah. album. Mm-hmm. And... I think um, both the Body Electric and Middletown Dreams are pretty... I mean, for Rush, they're pretty deep cuts. And they've played them a couple of times, but those are two songs where you're like, wow, you know, they, I, a, a person passively listening to Rush wouldn't get those songs. And then they go right into Territories, which means you could have effectively gone Subdivisions, Big Money, Force 10, Grand Designs, Middletown Dreams, Territories, which is pretty much just... And then you get Analog Kid. So it's basically just a microcosm of Rush in the 80s. Yes, it's Synth Rush in a big shot of it. Um, I think Grand Designs was the... Well, Big Money is played more frequently than those other tracks we're talking about. Uh, and it's played yeah. brilliantly. 
The big money is a, is a huge one for. It's probably the biggest one from Power Windows. Force Ten is good, but I've heard it on one or two tours in the the not so distant past. And um, but Grand Designs, like you said, what a treat! And how rare is that track? And to be performed yeah. with this new sound, and they're 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 just and he kind still of sings it really well. Yeah, like it's just something about it is different, and the the studio recording is perfect. Uh, but I lo- I just wrote wow, like there's nothing bad you yeah, can say about so it. Good. And Alex coming out to the cent to center stage at the end and singing the O part, oh, uh-huh. oh, or whatever. He does a he does a lot of backing vocals on this album. Yes. Now this one wasn't even into the mic. It was. It, it seemed very genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he does it with the with the little chuckle at the beginning of Force Ten too. Right. <laughs> but also, before we you know continue too far, I just want to say how much I love the fact that they opened the show with Subdivisions. Why? I love that song. It's just a good song for you. It's a. It's. It was. My personal favorite Rush song before I really even knew who Rush was. This mm-hmm. is like going back years. And I think um, the opening synth part is just so iconic. And also it kind of says to the to the crowd basically, hey, you're about to hear a lot of 80s. And then they just go into straight up 80s right. until you potentially hear bravado. And if you don't, then it's not till where's my thing. Which is still 80s. <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, it's 91, uh, 91 right? Close to 80s. Uh, yeah, man. And I'm not complaining. Like, I, I, this is my favorite I love era. 80s Rush, man. So, uh, the body electric was very different, I think. It, it, mm-hmm. it, it featured a much more indulgent bass part. Getty was kind of improvising a bit more. Kind of true of Grand Designs, too. Oh, absolutely. And don't you think the... I guess in the case of Body Electric, the guitar sound was incredibly different, and the bass part. I mean, yes. everything about the Grace Even Under the Pressure drums, sound like the drums is was right. That's the other thing. Uh, Grace Under Pressure is a hugely V drum album. Uh-huh. Like you listen to you know, Red Sector A or anything, and you're just going to hear straight up electric drums. But here, he was on the front side of his set. He was using the acoustic kit, and it sounded awesome. Did you notice? The I noticed this the first time I heard this recording. The second verse of Body Electric, he plays a much busier part than we're used to. And mm-hmm. a busier part than even the first verse. He's like got way more hi-hat into the groove. You know what I mean or no? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Well, And I think that um, on my notes here, uh, where was it? I just wrote... Um, they all analog kid is excellent they all seem really happy to be playing it Mm -hmm. and i kind of noticed that in a lot of the stuff here like body electric too it seems like they were all just going nuts they were just like yeah we're gonna just add in a whole bunch of stuff here and play it really high energy um the analog kid i remember was noticeably everyone's favorite moment of the night at the moment we hadn't heard everything yet but man, yeah. the, after that guitar solo, I'll never forget in my Montreal show hearing the crowd roar after that solo. And it's weird that um, the solo on Signals has this like harmony on it. It's kind of like a double tracked guitar effect, um, mm-hmm. as if another guitarist were playing with him. And that's there, but it's not as visible 
as it is on the studio recording. And yeah, it, it almost seems as if it's there and then it's not, and then it's there and then it's not. Um, I always find that interesting. Like, are you going to use the effect or not? You know, um, still a fantastic solo. And can we talk about get, uh, Alex walking over to Getty's mic for the opening vocals? Yeah, that was. There's a couple of standout moments on the video for that part, especially like there's a part where they cut to Neil and he's just boldface grinning as he plays, <laughs> which is something you never see. Yeah. <laughs> and and when like, Alex leaves, happy. When Alex leaves Getty's mic, they, there's a shot of Neil staring Alex down as he walks back to stage right. And I don't know what that yeah. state that stare is about, <laughs> or maybe we're reading into well, it he, too much. He, make, he makes faces at Alex pretty much this entire concert video. <laughs> we also have a form like, change on the Analog Kid on this rendition of it. And I'm always fascinated at when they're going to take a song and decide, no, we're going to play this part instead of that part, like we usually do. Uh, at the very end, I don't know what I'm leaving behind, and you think you're going to get the outro of the song, but they go back into a, like a, a chorus. Yeah, do like a... Yeah. And uh, it fits, extended. especially for you and I who don't expect it when we first hear it. Mm-hmm. What do you? Uh, yeah, it's... What do you think of "Where's My Thing" on on th- this recording of it? Well, I have a love hate relationship with this. Rec- with "Where's My Thing" in general, is not one of my favorite instrumentals. I I am inclined to say I love this recording of it because I love you know the drum solo. And I, I like when they put a drum solo in the middle of a song like that, like uh, when they did it with YYZ on Exit Stage Left. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And I like it where they do it here. But I just feel like I really like the bass part at the beginning too. But I think a different instrumental here would have been cool. Like Leave That Thing Alone I think might have fit a little bit better. I just, for once, I'm completely married to that roll the bones thin dry guitar tone i love that tone on this track and they get that big saturated gain filled guitar sound that i love else everywhere else yeah that, that that's that's fair that it makes muddies sense. it up a bit i miss that really tight crisp sound that he had on roll the bones on this track so that is I- something that kind of deterred me. Now, I, I disagree with you in that I loved to hear this. I've heard Leave That Thing Alone as much as I love that track. I've heard it too recently. We need um, to hear Limbo. Limbo, I insisted, needed to be played on R40, but we'll get to that later. Where the hell is Limbo? Where Come I know, on. where's the love for anything on Test for Echo? <laughs> now, it might be the most accessible song from Test yeah. for Echo. Yeah, we get freaking Test for Echo and Driven and Resist three times, and that's freaking it. Yeah, that's like, it. Come on. Since <laughs> we the get tour. Freaking, the last time they ever did anything related to Test for Echo was when they did Resist on R30. Wow, that's a great or point. Or do they do Driven? Did they do Driven at some point after that? They may have. No, I don't think they have. I don't think Driven's Last been thing, And that was, the, that was the freaking acoustic version, too. Like, it wasn't... Ugh, I, they hate Test for Echo. They do. It's the why. most neglected album. That's a great point, Matt. I had never thought of that. The last time Test for Echo was acknowledged was R30? I think so. They may have done Driven on one tour after that. I don't but think if they, they did, did, it was just one. Wow. Anyway. That's um, what I mean. Like, 
I didn't have great seats in Montreal for the first leg of Clockwork, but I remember when this drum solo ended, this first one, and they came back out, it was very noisy, and I couldn't make out what song it was. And I remember sitting there for a minute and a half, I did not know what song they were playing. Because our seats I'm, were so bad, and this, the, the sound, the audio in the room was so bad. It just sounded like noise. And I think what threw me off was that when he came out, Alex had a different guitar. He had his big white ES-355. He, he, he grabs a different guitar right as Neil goes into the solo. So and like comes even, out and finishes the same song with a different guitar. He come, yeah, he he finishes Where's My Thing with a different guitar. And that totally threw me for a loop because I couldn't quite hear it. The sound was washy, like I said. Uh, yeah. And, and it took me forever. I think, when I finally heard the last note of the song, I went, oh, that was Where's My Thing. Then we get Far Cry, and I'm like, that was weird. Why, why bother? Yeah, There's think, time to change. I love... Like I said, I love when they do that, when they shoehorn a drum solo in the middle of a song. Because I think it's just, it's really fun, especially when the solos are that long. Because then you kind of forget what song they were doing. And then when they come back, it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. But um, I feel like this would have been better served as just an extended bass solo, and then a drum solo, and then that was it. <laughs> right. Now, I think... Probably the coolest part of the overall aesthetic of this tour was the fact that these Clockwork songs were all part of a story, literally a novel. Um, they all yeah. had, they all kind of played a chapter role, and that they were all smushed into the second set, the first end of the set, or the first half of the second set. Not only that, but to aid that like of kind order. of moment. We watch the first set, and you're thinking, man, the lights look really good. Like, you know, their light housing, their light fixtures are different on every tour. And I remember watching set one going, yeah, those look really cool. And then you get to Caravan, and these big rectangles start floating down, independent of one another. And you realize there's this whole other part of the lighting that they were waiting to mm -hmm. use until the second half. And I remember thinking that was the coolest effect because now you feel like you know all their tricks and here they are, not to, not even to mention carnies with the pyro stuff. Uh, I'm just utterly shocked that you completely skipped over talking about Far Cry. I did, man. I've talked about it too much <laughs> lately. It's, it's been... I'm just going to say, I agree with you that the opening to Far Cry never sounds good live. I love this song. It is definitely one of the three good songs from Snakes and Arrows, uh, and it closes the set really well. <laughs> I love that you pointed that out. I love that That's you, you guys know me well enough now. But you're right, or I guess I should say I'm right. That opening never sounds as good as it does on the studio. It sounds awful. There's no <laughs> rhythm. It's just... It just sounds like somebody's screaming at you. And the rest of the track sounds fine. It you sounds know? perfect. And they do the, sh the, the pyro, which is fun. Uh -huh. And it's there's great one, to end a there's set. A question. There's, a, there's, a, there's something weird, though, about this recording of Far Cry. Because get uh, Alex sings uh, backing vocals on the chorus when he says it's a far cry from the world we thought we'd inherit, etc. I cannot figure out what the hell Alex is saying. I have no idea what lyrics he's singing. It sounds like two four eight or something. I don't know what he's singing. Which part of the song is it? 
it's like the pre-chorus where he's going, uh, it's a far cry from the world we thought we'd inherit. It's a far cry from the way we thought we'd share it. And it's sort of, Alex does this backup vocal in between those two phrases. And it's, I can't figure out what the hell he's saying. <laughs> it sounds like, I don't even know. It just sounds like 248 or something. But he's definitely singing because you can see him at the mic and you can hear him. I just have no clue what it is. Interesting. I, I want to go that back and check that out. I, I cannot figure out what those Half the time I do there. genuinely believe Alex is just bullshitting behind the mic. Yeah, he might be. He might just be like humming something too, <laughs> but it's like Oh, I hear you. I got I know what you're talking about. Um Yeah. What is he singing? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I can't figure it out. I don't know what he's singing. Maybe he's he's ordering his dinner. Maybe maybe somebody. I don't know what it, it's one of the things that bothers me about this album. One of the few. Also, the fact that they completely leave out the concert recording of Limelight on the oh, album. I'm not bothered by that. I love that song, and I mean, I think it's just interesting that it's the one song that they leave out, other than Working Man. That they sent, that they actually performed on this tour. Yeah, but you know, wait, wait, wait a minute. Working Man was performed. Yeah, was they it played rotated? it on the first night. They played it on the first night. Oh, I remember that, and then never again. Instead of, right? Instead of twenty one twelve. Yeah, right. they played it on the first night instead of twenty one twelve, and they did the the uh, reggae thing that they did on Time Machine. Oh, okay. Well, I'm I'm I didn't realize that. I didn't know that much detail about it. Uh, I'm glad they scrapped it because that. That rendition of the reggae uh, recording was classic. It was iconic. It's, don't, don't redo it's it. It's awesome, but it's awesome, but it's weird too. It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Changes it up now. Uh, so tell me about Caravan. Caravan, I, I lo- like. I like this song. I think um, it is definitely one of the less interesting tracks on Clockwork, but. I mean, I'm glad they played it first, obviously, because it's the first track. I like how the uh, the pyrotechnics are lined up with the vocals, too. Because when he says, lit only by fire, there's a bunch of fire, yeah. and then a long trail of flares, and they shoot off flares. Like, it's cool. And they're not, but they're not invasive, you... either. Like, uh, No, it's just like... In Red Sector A, you get the... Um, what's the line where the bomb goes off? I hear the sound of gunfire. No, that's not it. There's a line where the line where the uh, the pyro stuff goes off. Are you sure it's not? I hear the sound of gunfire. I'm positive. I, that's not that's not where the big boom happens. I I thought it was right before that, but hang I'll on. Bet, let me I'll think. bet you let me 50 look. bucks on the air. Let me. Pl- I I'm not gonna take that bet because I don't know for sure. Right, let's see you Google it faster. Live Googling on Rushcast here. Oh, this is this is making oh, wait, a really good video. My computer froze. That's a problem because uh, we're recording with my computer. All right, here we go. No, my my Google Chrome what? is dead. Okay, I I have it up on YouTube. I'm trying to find this. this I'm telling, I'm not gonna need there. YouTube, man. As soon as I see this lyric, I'm gonna tell you. I bet somebody knows it right now. It's listening. I feel stupid. I mean, I'm the trivia champion. I should know. You're the trivia champion. That's right. Oh, shouting guards. Wait, 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 wait. What was the line you said it was? Shouting guards and smoking guns. Yes. What was the line you said? 
you I said hear the, the gunfire. Song that has the word gun. Gunfire. Yeah. Yes. I so, knew it was in the middle of a phrase. It was in the middle of a verse. That's yeah. what I had. Shouting guards and smoking guns. Good. Oh, man, I took one. down the trivia champion today. That feels great. You did not. I did, you too. Did <laughs> you owe me you want to go bucks. lyrics trivia? I'll take you on. <laughs> um, Just don't put any more face up in there. Come but on. But the, the best, like you said... Those moments are really cool because they're not invasive to the actual music, like that moment yeah, is, or no, Far Cry, where you really jump well. out of your seat if you don't know it's coming. Not that I don't like that that element of surprise, but um, it is a nice change of pace. And I, I think Caravan is one of their best songs they ever wrote. I think it's great live, but with the strings, I think it benefits. It's super. I mean, this entire concert, they picked just such good songs to play with strings. Mm-hmm. Now like I even pre- everything on everything on Clockwork Angels is so great with strings. Manhattan Project, Dreamline, YYZ, they're all so cool with strings. I predicted they would play Manhattan Project and maybe Nobody's Hero since they had the string section. I um uh, this is going to be weird for me to say this, but I actually think Faithless sounds awesome with strings. Oh yeah, well it's got uh, like an actual string track in it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it would sound awesome with strings. So maybe Time Machine wasn't the appropriate place to bring that back. Maybe this one would have been. Yeah, but I mean it's from Snakes and Arrows, so I can take it or leave it. Right. <laughs> You're the, talking to the <laughs> trivia champion who hates Snakes and Arrows. I'm trying to. I'm trying to start a fight with you, but <laughs> it's not working. <laughs> Uh, one of the big moments on top of the Analog Kid solo at that Montreal show and the other two Clockwork shows that I saw. Can you tell that I'm bragging? Like, I got people listening that have been to every show on a tour. And, the, and on Clockwork, I had the, the funds and the time to go to three different shows. And I'm, I didn't, I I'm didn't happy about that. I didn't see them at all on Clockwork. All three so. of them, we get to Clockwork Angels, the song. And in the middle, he says, as if to fly. And everyone in the arena would put their hands up. And well, he they played they played Clockwork Angels on every show of that tour. Right, and it was just a really cool moment where the band stops. There's nobody playing in that moment, so all three guys of the band got their arms up. So does everyone in the arena. Um, unlike anything else that had happened at a Rush show, in my opinion, that that song is just pure atmosphere. It's definitely an experience. Does he lip sync at the end of this? I can't tell if it's lagging audio on my video or if it's that. When you know what I'm talking about when the his voice gets like uh kind of distant, it has an effect on it. Yeah. Yeah. It could just be like it could just be a trigger too. I don't know. I that was my instinct. Um upon listening this week I thought maybe I hear like the actual audio from his live vocals. I don't know. Either way, it it sounds fine. Now you're the right guy to ask about this. Is this the first time his drum kit has spun around in the middle of a song? I can't think of another mm, song where he would not. Need... In, I mean, it has spun in the middle of a solo before, but I don't know if it was in the middle of a song like that. Because what other song would even have a built-in moment for him to spin it around? Like, this one kind of has a couple seconds where he can get away with not playing for a second. I think this has got to be the only yeah, example. I, it probably is. It's, if it isn't, it's one of the few. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does it again on the same tour with. Uh, he does it later when he, when they do Red Sector A. Right. In the middle of his solo, but. So, 
there's two big moments for in Carnies when we hear it live or see it live. Alex is no longer playing his signature Les Paul, which is a lighter body, a thinner body, a brand new instrument. It's got this uh, incredible. I won't go into the names if you know Floyd Rose Bridges and Nuts. Um, incredibly altered <laughs> instrument than the traditional Les Pauls, except on Carnies. He's using this beautiful gold top Les Paul. Probably weighs a ton. And I believe, I've heard him say, I think it's like a 59. It's a really old instrument. And you can totally hear it. I've, I've never been... Yeah, Alex pulls out a million guitars. From Les Paul to Les Paul, I really can't tell the difference. Except on this one. we hear, And we also hear it on, I want to say, on uh, Headlong Flight. And I can hear it there too. It's just got more grit. It's a great sounding instrument. That's at the beginning of the experience during Carnies. Towards the end, it's pyromania. Like it's everything they had. They said, "Give it all we got here." And we Carnies heard was brutal. The string players like complaining about the fire in interviews. <laughs> I, I would imagine so. Like I was watching, I was thinking that when the fire first came up on Caravan, I was like, "Wow, that's that's probably really uncomfortable." <laughs> Um, but uh, just a weird thing about the second half of the show for me is that they they play it out of order. I know which, it drives me crazy because it's a narrative, and they're just like, "Yeah, we're gonna throw the wreckers in immediately after Carnies, and then we won't get back to Halo Effect until we do Headlong Flight, and then we'll put Seven Cities of Gold." This it, is this reminds weird. me a lot of Armor and Sword being switched out with Working Them Angels. Or rotated, or, yeah, but or it, like it especially is weird for an album like Clockwork Angels, where it's a concept album and the order kind of matters, right? More so than Snakes and Arrows, entirely. Example. Yeah, well, I mean, the armor, armor and sword flow into Working Them Angels is, it's it, it's still good. Mm-hmm. Um, now, last week I kind of bagged on the acoustic simulator Alex was using. He decided, hey, I don't need an acoustic guitar. I can, I can make it sound close enough with my new fancy Les Paul. And something happened yeah, sounded- from 2011 to whatever this is, 2013, 2012, where it sounds pretty good now uh, uh, during the record, yeah, that- during his interlude thing. I love the way the record sounds, both on this tour and the R40 Live album. That's one of my favorite tracks from Clockwork. And we and know I it's a, I can't bag on the fade out ending because I know they did it. It was done intentionally. It had a, a role, um, but you can't fade out live. And the ending for the records live, I think, is so brilliant. Um, they go back to the intro, right? And they had yeah. this big, big, fat beefy bass pedal underneath it and the band stops playing but that bass pedal is still lingering and that's one of my favorite effects that rush does they do it on um analog kid kind of does it as well there's a lot of moments through history where they've done that and i liked hearing it applied to this song now uh on stage left getty pulls out this big fat seafoam jazz bass uh that i believe his bass tech gave him if I remember correctly. And I remember showing my dad. I was like, Dad, come check this thing out. And we, we I, I thought it was weird. My dad was like, that thing is so ugly. He hated it. I don't know if he still hates it. I won't speak for him, but uh, it has grown on me a lot. I think that's a it's a beautiful looking instrument. Seafoam on a rock and roller. 
It's it's definitely a it's a bold statement for sure. Like the drum kit too. Yeah, the drum cool. kit's you know red and gold. Now you, we're talking about the strings in Clockwork Angels, but a lot of these string parts are not the string parts that were applied on the studio recordings. No, that's it's it's weird. And, and you got to imagine it works, like though. If the song required a very small string part, that's what they're going to put on the studio recording, but they're not going to go live and just play a bunch of whole notes. Um, yeah, no. So they gave them more active parts, and Headlong Flight is a good example. I don't think there's any strings on Headlong Flight on the record. No, Headlong Flight is a straightforward guitar drums bass. But it was good to hear with strings. I thought it worked, again, like most of these tracks, I thought it worked. It. I think from a purely... Uh, what is it? Quantitative standpoint, I think "Headlong Flight" is one of the best Rush songs of all time. Like, I think it's a fairly accurate representation of how far they all came as musicians over the past forty years. And this recording of it is excellent, but I think the studio version is better. Interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, do, however, I wouldn't argue love with the you there. Drum I would. Solo. I would. I call it. I just. I always say it's the heart of Rush, and this is definitely a song I think that hits the heart of Rush. Yeah, it's. It's everything they and, are. Like every every album has one song I think where yes. it's like that's the one, and this is the one for Clockwork. It's funny because like I would consider Mission to be that song on Hold Your Fire. I would consider Marathon maybe Big Money on Power Windows. Marathon, uh, definitely Marathon for Power Windows. For Hold Your Fire, um, I would probably agree, actually. Mission is excellent. I might also say Time Stand Still, however. Oh, yeah. I, I would agree with that as well. Or I wouldn't argue with it. And But it's funny how Mission is a very different song than Headlong Flight. Oh, yeah. I would but con- I think I would consider it's representative s- of where they are. Secret Touch is definitely my song on Vapor Trails. Now, Secret Touch and Headlong Flight, I think, are extremely similar. You see, my track for um, Vapor Trails is How It Is. Really? I love that song. <laughs> I love it, too. I don't think it represents the record, though. No, I don't. it's just it's the one for me from that. If you want to go with representative of the band in 2002, One Little Victory. Yeah, is, I, okay. Is the, is the right. band. Is I guess the band. representative. But, we can't talk what one is most representative. You're right. No, that's, it's kind of hard, but I think Headlong Flight is definitely the heart, as you say, yeah. for this album. But I think I like the little drumbastica thing that they add, uh, but I don't think it actually does much for the song. You know, you could argue it breaks up these songs, any song when you throw a drum, uh, drum solo in the middle, anytime time ha- Two thirds of the band leave the stage for an extended amount of time. It's gonna, it's gonna cut your momentum off this is quite a bit. Almost a micro solo, though. It's just sort of an extended. I think it's sixteen measures. Right. It's hardly anything. Yeah, it's it's hard to call it a solo. Because <laughs> uh, so he almost already does it in the in the record. It's just added. So I argued, or I I insisted that if. This had been their 10th album. They're in the middle of their career. I still would insist we would never hear The Garden again live. I think The Garden worked <laughs> so well in this setting. It was the it was the peak visually as well. All these different screens that I'm talking about, all the aesthetics yeah, that's uh, in the videos, all of that came to a head in The Garden. 
and then it then they abandon that aesthetic. They keep the screens and stuff, but um, it worked because it's the final chapter of a story. And I don't think I, lo- I this is my favorite example to say, and I say it all the time because I get to use different songs in the example each time. You can't hear, uh, you can't play one little victory, and then the garden, and then go right into a uh, a driven. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because it's driven from Test for Echo, and they won't. Play yeah, right. Because we will never hear driven again. <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's in a great spot here, and you know what? To come out of Wish Them Well also works because you get that like song to song transition that we all kind of develop in our ear, even if it's just silence. Yeah. To hear the end well, of Wish Them Well, we they, start uh, here at the beginning of the on, garden. On the tour, Seven Cities of Gold and Wish Them Well were alternated back and forth. Oh, they alternated with Seven Cities? Yes, which is super weird because I think those are both really good songs. Seven Cities is such a... It's got just a kick-ass bass line at the beginning. Yeah, it does, but, you know, I don't think... And I don't. I wouldn't think that transitions into the garden nearly as well as Wish Them Well. Oh, does. no, you're totally right there. Maybe that's an, a reason that to argue for Wish Them Well being in the set. It's function, not so much the song, but... Uh, I the more I hear Seven Cities, the more I think it's three minutes too long. I think I would love Seven Cities if it were two two minutes and twenty seconds. I'd be all over it. But man, something about that song always, never stops. I always very nearly get bored in that song, and then at around five minutes in, there's just a drum fill as it goes back into the, I think the third chorus, and that just brings me right back in. Okay. It's like Neil knew <laughs> this needs something because it's just it's such a it's a really short little fill too, and it just it just gets me right there. And there's another thing, real quick, I wanted to note. I really like Peaks Repose. Do you? I do, cause it's it almost sounds like Brune's Bane and Halo Effect had a baby. <laughs> and there's now, a little bit of hope in there too. You must have known Halo Halo Effect was coming, right? You got to because yeah, you, you, you know as a rush fan, as a big rush fan, you know Bruins Bruins Bane goes into the trees. You know what hope is there for. You've heard these interlude the interlude on Time Machine, which I think goes into Closer to the Heart. Yeah. At the time, I'm like, well, what on Clockwork are they gonna segue into? Well, it's got to be Halo. What else is there? Yeah. Well, and you can hear that high pitched thing that starts at the beginning of that track. You hear that like halfway through. Yes. The solo. My, you know, an effect I don't get on the DVD or the Blu-ray that I got live was the lighting on the stage. Actually, you know what? Yeah. I was taking notes during that song. Maybe I just wasn't watching. <laughs> um, but the fog—I don't know how they got the fog to like sit really low, and but it was really fast-moving fog coming around his ankles uh, on the stage that started pouring over the edge of the stage just as you hear the halo effect synth start. Yeah. Um, and all things considered, it's kind of a weird choice to play live. But again, I think it works within the microcosm that is Clockwork Angels right, as an right. album. Exactly. You had everything on stage visually and vibe-wise and sonically working it to, in your advantage if you're Clockwork Angels. So you, you can make it happen in that situation. I would argue there is one other time that I would have accepted hearing The Garden. And that is, if they weren't doing the reverse chronological, we're going to end with Working Man Garden Road on R40, I think the garden would have been awesome to close that. I would justify that under one condition. If 
R40 had been a an official farewell tour, if it had been, if we had known while the tour if they was going bitched on, out about it. if they had said this is it, this is the last one, I would have accepted the garden. I would have been like, yeah, because if everybody would have bawled. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> because like it is our last. You know, I've talked before about how I think a lot of the crap that Tesser Echo gets is because it was for a few years. I imagine if you were a fan in the '90s, you thought "Carve Away the Stone" you was going to be the last, the, the last rush song you ever heard, and that was not going to sit right. Um, however, it's looking like the Garden is going to be the final rush song. Knock on wood, heard. it won't be. But the Garden, I think, well. And you you saw Time Stand Still, right? I did not. I had to work during Time Stand Still. Oh, Do man. not get me started oh, on Time Stand Still. I won't because I've got a lot you. of beef with Fathom about this. Thir- our Thursday good. night, really? Interesting. Well, one you know one doing time doing showing on a week. Thursday night. You know they're doing it again this week. What? They're showing it again this no, Thursday. No, you're lying. I am not. What day of the week? It's a Thursday again. Wait. It's... So they're doing it this coming Thursday. This uh, coming Thursday. For a second, I thought it was Thursday right now. Um, at the same locations. Uh, some of them. Interesting. Well, I appreciate that. I will look into that. (laughs) Because they use the garden really well in that, and my number one most underrated Rush song gets finally gets its due in that movie. Give me a hint. Give me an. uh, Give me a decade. You, did you not hear me say what album it's on? No, I didn't. Okay, it's 90s. Um, your number one underrated Rush song that never gets any love. Yep. I get. Uh, I will guess... Uh, I'll guess... Everyday Glory. Yep. I nailed it. <laughs> Everybody knows, because every Rush fan loves that song, and they never played it. That is an extreme... I can't believe I hit that right on the head. That's um, definitely an... Un- I mean, that's up there with, I would say, top five songs I've never had a conversation with anybody about. Like, I've never heard another human being... Aside from it's the right show, obviously, we've talked about every song, but I've never heard ben- someone be like, you know, I really like this one song on Counterparts. You know, the last song, what's it called? And I say, I remind that nice person what it's called. You know, I've never had that situation, that conversation. I just, the other night I was just, I was listening to that song and I thought about, I ended up having to write a whole blog post of my top 10 most underrated Rush songs just so that I could have Everyday Glory at number one. blog post with you? I do. I can, I can read it we'll to do you. It. I can We're going to do it list. at the end of this episode. Okay. Um... Remind me. Yeah, I mean, I don't have many more notes. I want to talk about how... Well, also, Alex at the keyboard, just like time stamps yes, still from the I, I have that right? written down in all caps. <laughs> but how, Alex you know, playing keyboard. Halfway through the song, I thought... Well, actually, I shouldn't say this, that I thought this when I saw it live, because I had seen the teaser for the... Oh, no, that's not true. I saw Montreal really early on in the first leg, um, and I must have thought, how are they going to do this with the, the keyboard? I imagined Getty would have triggered it, or Getty played it himself, but it was a really cool, and Alex uses a loop uh, a loop pedal. He loops the guitar track, which is something I don't think he's ever done live. What did you think about it? That is honestly one of my favorite parts of this whole show, because um, I think Alex had a lot more to do on this tour in general, and they... 
even for the albums that were more synth heavy, they picked the songs that had a lot of guitar, like um, Grand Designs or Analog Kid. Um, there's a couple things I really love about that specific moment, too, because it's really, again, it's such an emotional song, and it's nice that everybody's sort of getting involved with it. I just, there's a touch that I really like how he's holding his guitar pick in his mouth there. Like, I don't, it doesn't really even. It's just cool. You know, and you're, you, you nailed it. It's it. not necessary. I thought the same thing. Like, I can see 10 picks on your guitar or your mic stand right now. <laughs> you don't need that one. <laughs> but it's a Yeah, it's but a, it's just aesthetic. it's cool. Yeah. And he has a sticker on his keyboard that I think is him doing the Ray Daniels get up from the last <laughs> tour. I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, on the, right on the front of his piano there, there's a... It's it sort of looks like Fat Bastard from Far Away too, <laughs> which ties into the one million dollars thing ah, on the uh, big money. <laughs> um, Dreamline, we got to talk about it. It's different every time. There uh, it is. There's what, Dreamline what with was strings. The, what was the stat I said last episode? Uh, it, I figured out it hadn't. It had been played on every tour since it was born, except for R40, I think, and Time Machine. Yeah. R40 and Time Machine. Anyway, so this might be the last time it's, we ever hear it. And here's a really cool um, moment to kind of, like a bookend moment for this song. I love the guitar solo. This rendition is more of like a shred style guitar solo, very notey on the first half. Then we get to the portion we hear on the record on Roll of Bones. The last uh, few bars, he plays this really high note in the last few measures of the solo. On Roll the Bones, it's a high E. It's like the last fret of the instrument, or one of the last ones, and he bends it even higher to reach that note. We never hear that note again, at least in the last 15 years I haven't heard it on a live recording. He plays a D. It's a whole step lower. Um, we And I've, I've come to just accept, oh, he just likes playing that high D instead. And then, of course, a few years ago, I hear this one and go, wow, he finally played that high E, just like on Roll of Bones. And... So we hear it the first time we ever hear Dreamline, we hear that high E. And the last time we ever hear Dreamline, we hear that high E. I'm getting really, really nitpicky here. You are here. a nerd. I'm a wicked nerd when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I say that as the trivia champion. <laughs> the tr- oh, yeah. You, what, are you justifying it with your, your accolades? You know, that's not the first time a Rush fan has been called a nerd, I don't, I don't think. I, you know, I don't think that's I, – I think, I think you're probably right about that. <laughs> Subdivisions is your favorite song, bud. So be it, careful. It's, right now, for the last two years, my favorite Rush song has been Xanadu, and I think it's gonna stay that way. But for a very long period of time, it was Subdivisions. Um, I remember when I found out they were playing alternating, rotating out Middletown Dreams. Yeah, that song was one of my favorites at the time. Not to say it isn't anymore, but I had just recently like come to love it. Looking at you, Bill Middletown Meyer. Uh, who hasn't sent me anything in forever. I think I finally got to him. But he, uh, they rotate it, and I thought that was a travesty. But at the same time, I'm like, all right, I'm, I was kind of saving myself for the Montreal show. I didn't want to watch any videos. I wanted to see Middletown, especially since there was a chance I wouldn't get to see it. And I didn't get, I didn't get to see it live. But I remember watching it on YouTube and thinking, I don't really like it. I don't really like this version. Like, the power windows definitely the weakest performance from uh power windows didn't it seem hard didn't it seem like that song was just hard to to yeah it's not 
That song and Emotion Detector, I think I understand why they don't play them live very totally. much. Totally, yeah. And but um, one thing I do love about this recording of Middletown is there's right as Neil's playing the last note, he just makes this face, <laughs> and it is hilarious. <laughs> he just, like, screams, because Getty walks up to the drums, and he's just there hitting the last cymbal note, and he just opens his mouth really wide and just stares at Getty. <laughs> It's it's a great moment. <laughs> now, watching it this week, I didn't think so critically of it. I thought, this isn't that bad. This is pretty good. Maybe it's because I know the recording so well now, but um, different yeah, but story. I mean, you get, Go ahead. You get to hear either that or Body Electric or Limelight. They switched three out there. I mean, which would you pick? Uh, not Limelight <laughs> um, and not Body Electric. I would absolutely pick Middletown. I See, I would have gone with Body Electric. Yeah, I think a lot of people would, but those tracks on Grace Under Pressure don't mean as much to me as anything off of Power I, Windows. I do love Power Windows. Right. Power Windows is definitely like they get and again, you get Manhattan Project here. Yeah, now Either we can't say the same line. thing about Manhattan Project. I think this one is just about as perfect as it gets. I don't know if it's better than a show of hands, but it's it's done really well. But the strings, man. This, I mean, the live strings component adds to it. You're right. Yeah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, this is my second favorite version of YYZ. Why? Because of the strings? The, the strings are awesome. It's just, and it's just, it's so cool because they're playing basically what the audience part was playing in, <laughs> in uh, Russian Rio. <laughs> they transcribed, <laughs> the, uh, the uh, arranger transcribed the Rio audience. Yeah, it just, it works. It's second only to Exit Stage Left for me. There's two big moments for the string ensemble, in my opinion, um, that on, on tracks that aren't clockwork tracks. That's Dreamline, which I forgot to mention, has this roaring string lick. It's like it is such and you can see like everyone I remember we were talking to uh we're talking to the cellist. One of the cellists in the string ensemble. And he he on Rushcast, and he was like, uh, I told him like, you guys were rocking out, and then you just have this moment where you all had to get serious, look at the music, bury your head into the page, and play and dig that riff out. Uh, and he was like, yeah, well, it was it was easier than you think it was. <laughs> He's like, we're pros. <laughs> I have I have written on my notes here, verbatim. YYZ, Manhattan, and Dreamline with strings are friggin' dope. Right? And, you know, I also liked Red Sector A with the strings. I thought that added an element. I think that's what that song was missing for me, was just one yeah. more element instrumentally. It really adds to the tension, for sure. So, good stuff. And now I, mean, I like how he... Sorry, go ahead. I just I like how he uses the solo as an excuse to turn his drum set around to the V drums for Red Sector A. Right. <laughs> um, we got it. We talk about like how Limelight's missing, and I would never take Limelight over those other deep cuts. Um, I thought yeah, that but was... it's literally the only song that they played on this tour that isn't present on any version of the live album. Like you can't hear it. Well, we get the sound check. Maybe that's what their reason yeah, was. Yeah, it's just it's weird. But. Man, I, I can't. Like you and I can't complain about the set list, you know, no, because oh choice. my god, what do what do we get? Uh, Tom Sawyer, twenty one twelve, as encore songs. Um, you get. Um, I actually tallied up the album representation on this tour. Mm-hmm. You get ten from Clockwork Angels. You get five from Power Windows. Three from Moving Pictures. 
two from Signals and Grace Under Pressure, three from Roll the Bones, and then you get a track each from Rush, 2112, Presto, Permanent Waves, Snakes and Arrows, and Hold Your Fire. That's really impressive, especially the Bones like, thing. It's such a such diverse and yet really concentrated in the 80s. Yeah. We only get one song from the 70s on his whole tour. And people weren't happy about that. Some people. I mean, we're so used to, like, let's take that I'm first ecstatic. set. You play, <laughs> you play five kind of rarish songs, and then you get the palate cleanser, which is free will. That brings everybody like back to life. Everyone who like, was getting a beer during Bravado gets to hear free will. They're like, oh, yeah, free will. But here we get subdivisions, and you don't get anything until, um, I guess... 2112 at the end. <laughs> yeah, right. But even for some people, it did, didn't you notice when they finally played Dreamline, people were like... They were reluctant, but they were like, oh, yeah, I know this song. <laughs> Something that remember isn't from Clockwork Angels. <laughs> it was like they were happier than they wanted to be about Dreamline, those people who aren't hardcore fans. Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. think, um, but you just mentioned Free Will. Like, I'm happy if they never play that again, because as far as I'm concerned, that version uh, on... What was it? Was it Snakes? Snakes or Time, or Time Machine? Machine, I think. Definitely, it was definitely he, on Snakes. That is just, he absolutely freaking kills that falsetto. Oh, song. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was last week we were talking about Time Machine. And as far as I'm concerned, they never need to play that song again. Because that's, that's true. Because that's just as good as it's ever going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, what, you got a lot of great things to say about this album, and I appreciate you helping me uh, rip it apart. <laughs> Spirit of Spirit of Radio, um, kind of hit or miss for me. I mean, it's a concert staple, but this recording isn't is just kind of neither here nor there. Yeah, same with me. Like, I just think they they've done it so much; it's it's good every time. You know, there's nothing. Yeah, to say and, and and same with Tom Sawyer too. Yep. I mean, you go into the encore, you're like, oh, what two songs haven't they played yet? And it's Tom Sawyer in Twenty One Twelve. It's like it's classic, but it's still it's still good. And I actually, this particular arrangement of 2112 is, I think, the best one for concerts outside of the one they did on R40. Because they only ever played it all the way through one time, obviously, which was for uh, Test for Echo. But I think this version where you just do Overture Temple's finale is really good. Mm-hmm. It's only beaten by the R40 where which you have just Overture a Temple's bit more, a little bit... presentation. Yeah. yeah, you get presentation in there, which is... I think it really just rounds out everything really well. I agree. It's but yeah, then I, I just like finale. I just like to hear the finale on it. That's all. That's all I need. Yeah, you need closure, especially to end it. Although end a concert. I think, I think it was uh, Grace Under Pressure live, but they did like a medley between Temples of Steering, Tom Sawyer, and YYZ. Yeah, something like that. That's kind of cool, but it's, it's weird. I'm not disappointed they got rid of the medley format at the end of their shows like that. Even though if, like, it, if it meant I could hear more songs, I would probably accept it. Like if they were going to touch on songs they wouldn't normally play, if they're going to yeah. come out and play like Twilight Zone into Lessons into uh, Vital Signs or something, I would be like, oh yeah, do that. <laughs> well, it's like, I really like the R30 overture because you get Finding My Way, which... When the hell else were you ever going to hear that again? Right. 
But um, I like the teaser idea better, like on different stages where they just shove in a couple bars of Cygnus at the end of YYZ. <laughs> I like that. The Cygnus teaser, it's classic. It's good stuff. All right, Matthew Seeloff, thanks so much, dude. Do you want my uh, my top ten underrated Rush songs real quick here? Yeah, well, we'll do it at the end. Oh, I thought this was the end. I'm no, so well, it's the end, but it's not the end. You know what I mean? Okay. I just like to have bonus material sometimes. I can see what you mean. It just takes me longer. It's uh... <laughs> Bonus points! <laughs> For the guy that won everything. Sorry. <laughs> How long have you been sitting on that one? <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, this was a fun episode, as you can tell by my super monotone voice. Uh, <laughs> please uh, send us some love on iTunes. Join our mailing list by sending me an email and asking for uh, asking to be on the list. Um, if you're in the New York City area, we're trying to get a little Rushcast get-together going on where we go into the city and we have a drink and we talk about Rush. So... If you're a Rushcast listener and you're in the area, or what would be really cool is if you traveled to New York City or you planned a trip around it, uh, that would be even more cool. I'll buy you a drink. Uh, or not. I'm, I'm very poor. Uh, <laughs> maybe we'll all just drink water together. If you want that to happen, if you want to be a part of that, send me an email. I'll be tweeting about it, and uh, we'll nail down a date, and that would be a lot of fun. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Jay. All right, we'll see you guys. Uh, we'll see you guys next week for the last episode of the live album series. Later. Woo! All right, what do you got? All right, number ten, tears. Number nine, anagram. <laughs> number eight. Kid gloves. Wait, wait, are you the one who who like said all these great things about Anagram last time anagram. we talked? Yeah. Okay. What was the next one? Kid gloves. Okay. I'm the I'm the Rush fan that likes Anagram. <laughs> the one. Yeah. I'm the one. I'm the one. Uh, seven is Grand Designs. Uh, six is How It Is. Five is Vital Signs. Four is Entree New. Are these ranked, or is it just a collection? They are ranked. So we should be getting to rarer and rarer songs here, right? No, they're just ones that I think are good, but don't... like. I like them more and more. Oh, okay, okay. It's also sort of a ratio of how much I like them versus how much representation (laughs) they get. I'm the nerd. Yeah, keep going. uh, Entree New. uh, Three is Available Light. Uh, Two is Hope. Uh, and one is Everyday Glory. Wow, interesting. I wouldn't say Vital hear... Signs is a song that doesn't get talked about, but... Yeah, I know. It's just, I think it's the one from Moving Pictures that gets talked about the least. Yeah, you're right. Um, I don't hate Anagram. I, I, I came to like it eventually, but... I just, I think it's... My thing is, it's silly, but it doesn't ever descend to dog years levels of inanity. <laughs> that's true now it's never stupid yes uh you're right 
and it's it is a gen genuinely it is a good song once you wrap your head around the fact that it, you're not about to hear uh yyz you know uh, but <laughs> yeah. tears i'm with you on tears that took me another one that took me a long time to get into um madrigal i hated forever and now i think it's great uh, i'm st- if i had to add another one on this list and it was from farewell to kings it would be cinderella man yeah but people talk about that one i mean but you like it and you've never had a conversation with somebody about cinderella man I I haven't, but I don't really. I mean, I don't. I don't talk to a lot of other Rush fans. Right. Uh, that's weird. Because I do. <laughs> I do now. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I should start a podcast. You know, it'd be weird is if I were to do this list, it'd be a lot of those like deep cuts from Tess for Echo. It'd be yeah, the color totem. of light, time and motion, and totem. Definitely totem. I love totem. Um, I love totem. And also. Probably between sun and moon. Definitely this. Oh my god, the speed of love would be number one. Uh, cut to the chase. Cut to yeah, oh yeah. What's after speed? But of, my number, uh, my number one from counterparts is always going to be everyday glory. Like that's just. Yeah, and I'll give you man. this. I've that's not my number one in terms of songs. I've never heard anyone mention. <laughs> yeah, well, I think hope is up there too for me. Now I. Go ahead. It stands out as a bright light to me on Snakes and Arrows, which I think is a very dark album, and you can disagree, but that's part of the reason why it's on the bottom of my list is because I think a lot of those songs are depressing, like Bravest Face or Good News First or you know, even something like Spindrift or The Way the Wind Blows. Like I find those songs sort of, they, they kind of bring me down a little bit, and I think Hope is just such a sublime cut from that album. Okay, I'll I'll accept your answer. I'll accept that. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, Far Cry, uh, Main Monkey Business, Malignant Narcissism, and We Hold On are all fantastic tracks. I'm interested to see how it was applied on Time Stand Still. Then this Everyday Glory piece. Oh, you will cry. <laughs> you will cry. All I right. guarantee it. I will, and um, thanks for the uh, the news that it'll be re-airing for all of you listening. Yeah, I didn't go, know that. Go see that. It's awesome. Oh wait, I is it? Well, I work every Thursday, so I guess that's not any help. Yeah, but not. I mean, not to you, but it's coming <laughs> out anyway. It's coming out on DVD. Yeah, I'll see it too. eventually. 